And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well. And it's gone! A two-run home run! The Brewers take the lead! Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach. episode four of Terrace Talk. Uh, we got baseball started. College baseball is fully underway. Um, and we got uh, spring training, pitchers and catchers, and the team coming in and reporting this week. So uh, baseball is around. Next episode, we'll have uh, a spring training game to talk about. So uh, very exciting times. I think people are starting to flip their mindset to uh, baseball as uh, with still winter here in Milwaukee. But um, everyone's thinking about uh, Brewers ball now. So this is uh, this is an exciting time of year for sure. Everyone's hopeful. Um, everyone's zero and zero and we're ready to get the get the ball rolling here. Um, first, we'll start with some Brewers news. A um, lot of spring training tidbits coming out this week. Um, so, boys, I'm just going to go down this list and we can talk about things uh, where we see fit. Um, so we have a couple of Adam McCalvey tidbits uh, tweeted today. We got Manny Pineapple saying that the pitcher that has impressed him the most is Brad Boxberger. So I, I kind of mentioned before, like this could be a guy he's saved. He's been the primary closer on two different teams. Um, he could be this year's David Phelps. I mean, he's been there before. He's been in primetime situations, closing ball games out. So uh, Pena said that his command has been on point uh, in the few pens that he had. So yeah, we got Boxberger opening up uh, Manny Pineapple's eyes. Anything on that, boys? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Manny, Manny Pineapple has seen a lot of arms, a lot of different pitchers. Um, so I think he has a really good eye and who's got good stuff early. Um, so that's exciting to hear from him for sure. Yeah, so that's an, uh, an intriguing arm to watch this spring. We'll have our eyes on him. Um, the big news from today, uh, for, for those that um, follow McKelvey saw this, and the hype train is growing on Corbin Burns. Um, Omar Navias was pumping him up saying that he has a change up that is way better and more advanced than last year uh, when he was asked about the Brewers pitcher that has opened his eyes the most. And I feel like for Burns to be mentioned um, right off the bat is usually you get kind of the under the radar guy like Boxberger in those type of conversations. Um, but Omar was like, nope, our stud came in and he's even better than last year. So this is, I know Mitch L's hard over there <laughs> listening to the, the Corbin Burns change up potentially coming this year. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we talked about it on podcast too, or I had mentioned it on podcast too. So I'm going to toot my own horn here for about five minutes. I said that if Corbin at any point in his career got to the point where he consistently trusted an off-speed pitch, that it was over for every opposing lineup that he faced. He has been so good with all of his hard stuff. I mean, I think we, 
we mentioned on the podcast when we did a spotlight of him, how the, he was in the elite percentile for all of his spin rates for his hard pitches, but hasn't been to this point in his career, gotten to a place with a changeup or a curveball, something that just gets that bat speed down um, to the point where it's a consistent pitch he can go to. The fact that Omar is now saying his changeup is getting to that point I, I really feel bad. I tweeted, and not to be dramatic, that Corbin might end the year with 70% for his K percentage this year. And we're going to see strikeout records. We're going to see 20K games from Corbin. We are heading to Corbin may be the best. He may be coming for Ben Sheets 2004 year. Let's say that. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, it's like how – this is where we were a couple of years ago when, when there's a lot of fans – pissed off with the results they were getting when the ball was leaving the yard and he was still trying to put everything together. And we got a glimpse two months last year of, you know, what that potential was all about. And to hear that he's adding to it is uh, yeah, it's very exciting and it's going to be a blast to watch this year. looks like his flow is even getting longer too. So he's just just... throwing that hair out. (laughs) It's like he put on some muscles too. I don't know. He might've been in the weight room a little bit. Yeah. He's kind of like a brick shit house now. I I don't want to mess with Corbin Burns, dude. He's, he's kind of, he's going to be the man. Like he's like, Woody's been our guy and he still will be our guy because he's a horse. He's proven to be clutch in big time games, but Corbin Burns is, is more talented and he, this might be the breakout, the huge breakout season for him. Um, So that's something to watch this spring as he develops that, uh, that pitch, that change up. So fun stuff there. I saw some people on Twitter warning uh, pitching Ninja about uh, some of the gifts upcoming. So looking forward to that. And by the way, if you're not following pitching Ninja, you should Um, he's following college baseball and there's a ton of college baseball on ESPN plus a lot of good pitching. So all around good stuff from him. Um, Sarah Goodrum. So the Brewers hired the first uh, female uh, hitting coordinator um, and there's been glowing reports about her. So uh, this is a really cool story. Um, Sounds like she's incredibly qualified and deserves that position that she is in. Um, And her and Andy Haynes um, are working hand in hand together, uh, helping out our hitters. So kind of cool. The Brewers are being, uh, you know, the first to, to do something like that. And I think it just shows that the organization is, you know, progressive and uh, can, can hire, you know, females in those roles and no one has an issue with it. So anything on that, I know this is a story we should have probably touched on this in the, one of the first three episodes. Um, But I saw some tweets with her uh, pictures with her standing around the cage and it sounds like all the guys um, really like what she's doing. So that's cool stuff there. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, just continuing to break barriers and everything that, you know, all the, the, coaches were saying you mentioned Andy Haynes but it was it was kind of one of those things where it was only a matter of time before she started breaking through because I mean she deserves she's deserving all of this I mean sounds like yeah. she's just um, you know great a across the board so I couldn't be more excited for her and, and to watch her continue to grow and um, you know bring her knowledge to, to the game I'm, I'm excited yeah absolutely so um, that's cool stuff stuff another thing to watch in spring and just an all-around cool story um, we got uh, Sophia Minier tweeting uh, best shape of his life. Uh, Mr. T-Rat himself, Tyrone Taylor got big. So he, uh, he, yeah, you saw the picture. He, he looks pretty big. I mean, he said he's 210 pound, pounds now. Um, and that's about 15, 16 more than what he came into the year last year. So 
looks like he's attacking that fourth outfield spot and uh, wants a job. So we got, we, we do love those stories. I mean, this happens in every single sport, the, the preseason uh, best shape of your life guy. So keep That's your eyes on the rat. And that'll be an extreme uh, intriguing battle that we can touch on a little bit. And um, we'll be one of the primary uh, things to watch this spring training, but that fourth outfield spot between uh, Mr. T-Rat, um, McKinney, Derek Fisher, uh, probably between those three, um, unless Corey Ray really put in some work this offseason. Um, what else we got here? Uh, there's reports that the Brewers are going to be creative with their pitching this spring, um, which shouldn't surprise anyone. There's some weird rules. I think people are going to be able to, like, extend innings and, like, they'll be more lenient with pitch counts and doing – like, just don't bet on any spring training games. <laughs> like, like I, I don't think – like, didn't someone, like, not finish a game last year? I think it's becoming more of, like, a like an inter-squad scrimmage, like, preparation type deal, at least for, like, the first few weeks. So, uh, for all the degenerate gamblers out there, just don't bet on spring training. Yeah, you know, you know you're a degenerate gambler when you're itching to bet on spring training games. I'm not going to lie. I've bet on spring training before. I was going to say, it feels like you were tagging yourself in that comment. Yeah, it kind of was. I was just like giving myself a warning, like, just chill out, dude. You can wait until April 2nd. <laughs> um, good news here on Corbin Burns and Devin Williams. They're both good on the injury front. Um, fans remember, maybe they don't. They missed the Dodgers playoff series last year with a couple of very minor injuries, it turns out. So good stuff there. It sounds like they're going to bring Devin Williams along slowly this spring, but he should be full go by, uh, by opening day. So no worries on, on his shoulder and what's going on there. Yeah. Corbin's uh, strain, his oblique strain was very minor to the point where they said he was already feeling a hundred percent in late October of last year. So um, I could see him getting ramped up right away. And, you know, like we just talked about with his changeup, his Cy Young season starts um, right away that first week in April. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited when we do our, uh, our preseason predictions pod. I have a feeling that Corbin Burns name will come up quite a bit with some bold predictions that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got some uh, video footage of our guy, Orlando Arcia at third base. Um, this is something that council kind of touched on in a few interviews that he's done. Um, it looks like we're really going to push uh, Luis Urias to get a ton of at-bats and play a lot of innings at shortstop. And I think he's got the inside track to be our opening day shortstop, um, in my opinion. And uh, it, it kind of seems like they, that way when you have a guy who's never played third base with zero power like Orlando, um, I think they want Urias to run away with that job. You guys got anything on, on that? I mean, it, I don't know how much we can actually expect it during the year because that to have zero home run potential on the entire left side of your infield doesn't seem like a, a very long-term successful route. Um, but yeah, what you guys think Urias has the, the inside route or who's your guest to be our opening day shortstop from the both of you guys? I think I'm with Urias. I mean, they're already showing video of Orlando taking reps at third. So I think he's kind of the odd man out right now. I mean, I guess depends on his spring, but we've seen a lot of Orlando over the past few years and he's definitely had his chance. Um, he showed, showed flashes of hitting the shadow of the ball for like a week and then he just can't hit his way out of a fucking ocean. So um, <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. I mean, I love you Orlando, but 
<laughs> yeah, we we love Orlando on this podcast, and my roommate's also a huge Orlando fan, the leader of the Orlando train. So I have we- an Orlando RC jersey, so I, I'm a big fan as well. <laughs> if we can get playoff Orlando to consistently show up, I think that brings in a different situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, with with what we traded for Urias, um, and we mentioned this before, I think Urias has to get an extended look. Even last year, he showed very good glimpses of consistently getting on base. He's a high contact guy. He's not going to have the you know twenty home run type potential, but uh, at for a shortstop, if we can just consistently get him on base to get him in a comfortable maybe like two spot in the order, hitting in front of Christian, where he's going to see a lot of pitches to hit, I think that's you know ultimately what we're hoping for out of Urias. So. And I'm, I'm not sure if you said it there. You think he's going to end up the opening day starter there? I think he's going to get every shot to. Um, yeah. And I, maybe they move Orlando to third and have him in a platoon role with Travis. And then or, Orlando could probably play second too. I mean, I know Colton Wong's going to play there pretty much every day, but I could see Orlando being extremely flexible and still getting a ton of chances um, to play across the infield. So, Cool. Um, and one more note on uh, Luis Urias. Uh, Anthony Castro Vince did an article on most intriguing player on each team this spring. Um, and he was the, the guy that he selected. So um, there's some eyes across the, the board nationally on what the Brewers are going to do at shortstop. And, you know, Urias is a, a pretty big potential. And like you said, we obviously gave up a, a huge amount in Trent Grisham and Zach Davies to get him. Um, so expect to see a lot of him this year. And hopefully we have a, a breakout uh, season from him. Um, then last tidbit here, um, unless you guys have more beyond this, uh, but the Brewers submitted a 350 page plan, um, to have 35% occupancy by opening day. Um, so fingers crossed, um, I'd love to be slugging beers at Stenny's, uh, before, uh, tailgating a Brewers opening day against the twins. Um, so it sounds like, you know, if this goes through 35%, um, you know, 15, 16,000 people roughly in the stands. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have anything more on that. They're still waiting to, you know, have this confirmation. So fingers crossed. Hopefully we can get into the ballpark and uh, watch a team in person. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add, it'll be interesting to see how they spread those things out. Are they going to close the fourth level? Are they going to keep the fourth level just from a space perspective? But, yeah, I mean, they'll probably be doing some interesting things with noise and stuff like that. I know – Um, they were tinkering around with that last year with like pumping in crowd noise and stuff like that. Now that, you know, a lot of stadiums are going to be allowing a limited amount of fans. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of work at the, on the noise type things. But yeah, as long as we can continue to trend in the right direction with COVID, the vaccines continue to roll out. Those numbers can keep going down. Hopefully that plan, you know, percentage capacity keeps going up as the year goes on and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed by October and, you know, when we're playing this uh, World Series at the end of October, <laughs> November, uh, we're at a full 45,000 in uh, AmFam. It'll just yeah. be like a Marlins uh, home game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that joke a, a few times. Yeah, because they're they're Too a lot of fans in Florida. Yeah, it's it. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not chirping your joke. It was a good joke. <laughs> you just you went for the low hanging fruit, and I respect it. <laughs> you guys, you guys see anything else? I it, it's funny. I mean, this week we're we were looking for some news. Oh, no, last last thing, last thing. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal for um, about one night and a. You know, a couple minutes in the morning, 
Um, we thought that there was a chance that the Brewers were going to attack Trevor Rosenthal and make a Super Bowl pen. Um, our guy, Will Salmon, wrote a, a good article. And then, uh, crazily, um, the next morning after his article was released, there was a brief Brewers in talks with Rosenthal tweet um, that was quickly uh, put to rest by John Heyman reporting that he signed a one-year, $11 million deal with the Oakland Athletics. Um, it would have been cool. Uh, this, the Super Bowl pen was uh, almost there. We, we had in our brains for a, a brief second, you know. <laughs> Probably about yeah. three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. $11 million seemed like a steep price. I mean, well, Brewers aren't scared to do those um, higher AAV, short-term, one-year deals. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how much we were willing to go. Um, but ultimately he goes to the A's where he will for sure be the closer. Um, and, uh, that, that sometimes plays a, uh, a role in their decision-making process. I mean, uh, pitchers are weird. Some guys just want to have the mentality of closing out games and, um, he, he wouldn't have had that hundred percent role in Milwaukee. That's for sure. Mitch, you got anything on uh, on Rosenthal? I mean, like I said, it was a fun idea for a second, but uh, ultimately it goes out west. Yeah, we had about 10 minutes there between Robert Murray's tweet of we're interested in him and then John Heyman's tweet of he's in agreement with the A's. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like the idea, and I think it goes without saying there's a potential to still add another um, decent to good arm. David Robertson was a guy that I had projected us to go after. He's still available. Shane Green's another guy that's out there. Um, so there is a chance that we can still add another arm, but yeah, I would, I would be interested to see as to what our talks were with Trevor Rosenthal, because, you know, like you were saying, he likes the idea of going to Oakland. He's the for sure closer there, continue to boost up his stock and maybe take a bigger deal next year where I think the Brewers were probably coming at it is, Hey, you know, maybe you could be a setup guy or a seventh inning guy for us at a lower AAV, but maybe we were willing to go two years with him. We weren't going to give him yeah. closer type money, but I think he just saw the potential higher being, if I go to Oakland, I'm lights out as a closer, I'm going to get a bigger deal, you know, going into next off season. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, good for him. Reliever getting paid. Um, so that's good stuff. Um, and by the way, how dare you not mention big Dick, Jeremy Jeffress in your, potential relievers to go get him. <laughs> yeah, he, he deserves he deserves his respect. So he got and I love JJ too. I know you're hype leader JJ. <laughs> I love that guy, dude. The energy that he pitches with is absolutely electric. Oh yeah. And that playoff run, I know he, you know, kind of oh, struggled a little bit for us, but that year for us, he was absolutely stellar and he was just yeah, his confidence and swag on the mound is like when JJ had the ball, you just knew that he was getting out of jams and he was he out of so many jams. <laughs> he, he changed his walkout song to Fireman by Lil Wayne because he was getting out of so many bases loaded jams. <laughs> he, knew it too. he just had that look on his face where he's like, oh, just a fucking ball or sinker. Better hit it. No chance. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, in classic, uh, you'll see this with a lot of relievers, but he had a, a sparkling ERA, but obviously JJ's FIP with the Cubs was a lot higher than his actual ERA, and um, he pitched into some pretty good luck last year. So he's definitely not a ninth-inning guy if he re-signs, I'm guessing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just curious if there's talks going on. I would love to see it personally. Um, him fist-pumping after, like, opening day, six-inning jam that he gets out of an us slugging beers, just cheering like crazy. I just, I love my, I love me some Jeremy Jeffress. <laughs> Come on back, JJ. 
Yeah, can, that. You, can sell, you can sell you can sell <laughs> your chicken in the food truck <laughs> or tacos or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, Milwaukee's a big food truck place. I mean, why wouldn't you want to come pitch here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Uh, I'll quickly go around the league here with uh, some other deals. Is you know just the typical moves that you see around spring training. But we got Taiwan Walker um, signing a two-year, twenty million dollar deal with the Mets. Um, think it makes sense. Looks fair to me. Uh, just extends their depth as Syndergaard comes back, and um, you know they have a, a pretty good squad in New York right now. So. Um, he pitched well with the Blue Jays. Uh, he's been he's been around a little bit, but he's a talented guy. Um, the A's the A's got Mitch Moreland. Um, before we got to, you know early in the offseason, Mitch Moreland kind of seemed like a, a decent fit for the Brewers at like a couple million dollar one year deal. Um, but obviously with Keston moving to first, that didn't make sense. And we already have Vogi to one point four million, even though we'll see if he's on opening day roster. Um, but he goes to the A's for a $2 million deal. Um, Shane Bieber had coronavirus, should be good to go in the next couple of weeks. Um, Brett Gardner, back to the Yankees. Ian Desmond opted out. I'm not even sure. What team was he on? Is he still in the Rockies? I don't even know. Either way, he opts out this year. Um, I feel like he hasn't played in a while. Um, we got, uh, I don't even know how this, Keone Kella. Uh, former Pirates reliever that has some pretty good arm talent. I remember facing him a handful of times. Um, he goes to the Padres, uh, rich get richer and on, on that team, just some more pitching for them. Uh, Braves got uh, Jake Lamb, which seemed like a potential Brewers target before we signed Trevor Shaw to that deal. Um, JT Real Muto fractured his thumb. Um, so, uh, sounds like he will be kind of on the teetering on the line of being ready for opening day or not. So kind of sucks. He just got that huge deal, got paid and, um, immediately opens up spring with a, a quick injury. Um, was there anything else that we missed this week? I don't know. The, uh, no cinder and Trevor Bauer beef was pretty electric. If you guys saw that, I didn't see that. What, uh, what was going on there? I don't know. I know I'm looking at a tweet right now from Syndergaard. It's like a him laughing in spring training in Syndergaard quote tweeted and said, and then he said, I'm sorry, I chose another team, but I'll donate to your charities uh, referencing Trevor Bauer uh, and uh, Bauer clapped back at him and just said that mistakes are made. And then posted a bunch of Syndergaard Instagram comments where he's being pretty vulgar towards fans. So you love to see that. I love to see the dudes fired up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm all for a good beef. Trevor being petty on Twitter, well, go figure. <laughs> yeah, I think it ultimately gets gets people buzzing, gets people that don't really care about baseball maybe involved. So right. Trevor Bauer is going to be Trevor Bauer and always going to stir the pot. Sure, Just yeah. know if he stirs the, stirs the wrong pot, though, with the Brewers, I mean, we'll have to call him out. Yeah, his, yeah. Other, his other pitcher in his rotation already has. So, mm-hmm. Although there's there was tweets last year, remember how much he, he loves the city of Milwaukee and going on walks before games and stuff. He remember we got we got hyped up about that briefly. It's funny how many how much people like have this stereotype of like Milwaukee being this trash city and you know we're in the middle of winter. These months kind of stink, but it's like everyone that actually comes here and ex- and spends extended time here absolutely loves it. So you yeah. know, work for the wise for people that haven't been to Milwaukee, like come here on a summer day, go preferably when Summerfest is going on, go to a Brewers game, you know, hit up a nightcap at, you know, the concert at Summerfest and like, you'll want to come back a million times. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We all love Milwaukee. So 
yeah. free agents, free agents. It's a cool city. Cool, cool city. Um, uh, real quick, real quick. Uh, we got the Cardinals pissing off their best pitcher um, over a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, so he was tweeting some things because he won the arbitration um, battle with the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty. Um, so this is, it's just crazy to me when teams do this. I don't think the Brewers have done this in a while. Um, but it, I, I remember the Blue Jays really pissed off Stroman um, doing something like this. But like when you've got a guy that produces and is one of the top arms in baseball and you're arguing over 3 million compared to 3.9 million, it just seems so dumb. It seems so dumb to me. Especially uh, if you want to lock up a guy like Jack long term, I would think St. Louis would want to bring him back. I mean, he's oh, yeah. here in our division. So why you would you know be fighting over pennies at this point makes zero sense to me. Yeah. So but before we move on, Hanson, there is one more Brewers news item that I need to bring up. And that was that the, picture, the picture that was going viral on Twitter of our owner, Mr. Mark, <laughs> okay. his new rat tail look. I, I told a friend that picture he was repping the, the glasses that turn into sunglasses as you walk outside in some dorky hat. And then he has this very like dinky rat tail. He just like hairstyle. He just reminds me of someone that would be like an exotic bird watcher. <laughs> He, yeah, he looks more like a slimy, like, business guy that's, like, doing illegal things outside the country. Um, but, uh, yeah, if he, whatever he's doing, you know, hopefully that rat tail brings uh, some more money to his pockets to spend on players here. So, the, lo- the year of the rat tail. We love him if he continues to expand payroll for us so he can rock whatever hairstyle he wants. Get the 100, 100 on a yearly basis. That is what we're asking for. That is what we deserve, 100. It's not, much. it's not much. The transition oh. lenses have tears in my eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about when like someone walks inside from wearing those and it takes like 10 minutes for those things to get back to normal. And they're all fogged up. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark Antonasio rat tail talk. Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. You, you got a Twitter in a frenzy when that picture posted. I, I want to know what, what went into his thought process of like, Hey, I'm going to grow up my hair and put it in this like weird looking rat ponytail as like a 65 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> Our man. I like it. Whatever, whatever works, man. <laughs> um, cool. I think we can quickly, um, I don't know. We can kind of gloss over this. I think we'll, we'll talk more on this through the spring. Um, but position battles to look forward to. Um, we got third bases in open, wide, wide open opportunity uh, for the likes of Travis Shaw, David Robertson, or Daniel Robertson. Um, right, right. My brain's in a pretzel right now because we're yeah, talking Daniel, about it. Yeah, yeah. David, David Robertson is the pitcher that we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why my, uh, yeah, like I said, messed that one up. Um, future Justin Turner, Daniel Robertson. Yeah, just call him JT. Just call him JT. <laughs> yeah, we got shortstop where we talked earlier about uh, RC and Urias looking like Urias is going to have every opportunity to win that. Um, and then the fourth outfield spot between uh, Tyrone Taylor, Derek Fisher, and McKinney. Um, I did see a good point on, on Twitter um, by someone um, that they thought that Derek Fisher had the inside route to that um, because he was with the Astros when David Stearns was there. 
Um, so just a the fun tidbit, I guess, that might have been why Stearns was attacking Fisher. Um, he might have been one of the guys to make the decision to draft him um, in the first round out of Virginia. So maybe you see some potential there. Uh, you guys have any takes on those? I mean, we obviously the back end of the bullpen will will work itself out, I think, with results. And honestly, the Brewers have such a taxi squad with the the back end of the bullpen that guys that start in AAA will probably be up within you know the first time they pitch um, the the other guys. So we we utilize the the taxi squad quite a bit. Right. I can't see us having. Um, too many issues with, you know, guys being upset with if they don't make the initial opening day roster from a bullpen perspective, because you kind of hit the nail on the head there that we end up sending, you know, three to four arms, it feels like consistently every week back and forth. So, you know, bullpen, yeah, we'll have the best arms to start based upon maybe their spring performance. But, you know, I wouldn't expect the guys that don't make the team to, you know, stay in AAA for, for very long. Um, I think to your point about the biggest competition this year, it seems like, or at least for, from a spring training perspective, third base by far. I mean, the fourth outfielder, yeah, they'll need to figure that out, but it's still a fourth outfielder. Right. right. Every day, potentially starting position on the line that three or four guys are going to be battling for. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously I'm a Travis Shaw Homer and hopefully he wins that and brings back that, you know, somewhat close to that 2018 vibe that he had for us. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited. You know, one guy I really am excited for in the pen is Ray Black. Um, I mean, he's been pretty inconsistent, but dude just throws a hundred. Um, yeah. Just walk, we'll just walks a ton of dudes. I mean, we have Topa. Um, my mind's going blank here. Yeah, Topa, Rasmussen, dude just throw fucking gas. So, I mean, if he figures it out and you can add to that pen, Perdomo is another guy. It's going to be fun to watch. He got a little taste last year. Um, yeah. I hope he figures it out. He's one guy I'm really curious to watch this spring. Yeah. I know uh, Mitch has mentioned this before, but um, just get us all the, the most talented bullpen arms and figure it out. Um, like you said, there's a lot of guys that throw hard with potential. And then um, we have some of those older guys like Boxberger um, that we brought in um, to, to eat some innings and just be the savvy, the savvy vet that pitches with location, but arm talent is key. And ultimately, um, you know, guys can put it together over the course of an off season. So it'll be fun to watch those, those big high velocity arms and see who's going to step up and ultimately throw strikes and mix in some off-speed pitches that way. And I also want to add to, um, before we go to a quick break here, there is one prospect arm that I think has a chance to, blossom really quickly this year and potentially pitch in August or September out of the bullpen. And that's Kelly. Um, you know, he's a lefty arm that throws hard. He could be like a Drew Rasmussen where he climbed super fast and ends up breaking into the major leagues as a bullpen arm late in the year. So I think that's a prospect to watch from a pitching perspective um, to add to our bullpen later in the year. Yeah, the Brewers Twitter account posted a, a quick video of him working out. And yeah, that guy is projectable as hell, dude. He He's tall, lanky. Like if you're building a left-handed pitcher in a lab, um, you would start with, with his body frame. So uh, exciting stuff there. He throws hard, left-handed. So yeah, another guy to keep an eye on. Um, there's a whole pack of exciting arms to watch during spring training. So um, cool. Yeah. Like you said, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here. Um, the second half of the pod, we'll talk a little Ryan Braun, uh, go over the top five players in the NL central, 
Um, we'll get we'll get everyone fired up. We'll get a vote on Twitter going, see who who did it right and the most accurately in uh, the fans' eyes here. Um, and we'll end with uh, some of our favorite Miller Park memories. Um, so we'll be back here in uh, one second. All right, so we're back now. Um, so we got a uh, Ryan Braun talk. So Mitch Mitch L requested this. Uh, we just want to hype up our our guy Brawny here uh, real quick. Um, I saw you. Did you see that on Twitter when you're you're doing some deep investigation into uh, Ryan Braun's wife's Instagram? Instagram. <laughs> yeah. and, I follow Ryan's wife on Instagram solely for nuggets. <laughs> That's a nugget, man. <laughs> so what uh what, what nugget did you find out, or what did you piece together with your um with your Instagram? Yeah, so I I mean th- this podcast or this segment of the podcast was more so as to. I don't know for, for sure if Ryan's done. Part of me thinks he's going to come back. But if last year was Ryan's last year, then, you know, we just need a, a farewell tour for Ryan. Yeah. But I did see um, his wife posted a picture on Valentine's Day, this like sentimental thing about how, you know, usually Valentine's Day means we lose Ryan for the summer. And she's like, it's nice to have him around Um for now. Um, and then in one of the comments, someone just asked if um, she could share him one last time with Milwaukee. <laughs> and she responded, um, happy to do that if slash when the time comes, smiley face. So um, book it now. Ryan Braun back in June or July of this year uh, to Milwaukee. Dude, a midseason pickup of Ryan Braun would be so insane. Because <laughs> you know this it's perfect timing when he turns it on. Like it's like Ryan will battle injuries. He'll go on the 10, 15 day IL, you know, with minor injuries, and then the clock strikes second half of the year, September, October, and then the dude's posting a thousand OPS having clutch hit after clutch hits, um, you know, living in Chicago's head rent free his entire career, uh, career 945 OPS against Chicago for, for those keeping track at home, just an absolute nightmare, uh, pretty much owner of the city. So um, just Dude, it is going to be sad. I mean, this is going to be the first time in 15 years where we don't have the, the face of the franchise, Ryan Braun. Um, with the Brewers I mean since we were 12 11 12 years old um, he's been the you know one of the best players on the team most of the time the best player on the team six-time all-star MVP Um, obviously will always be a little clouded with the the performance enhancing drug um, situation but we we tend to look at all the great things he's done and ultimately he he turned the franchise around Um, 100% that group in 2005 with like Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, JJ Hardy. I mean, he came on to the scene was one of the best players in baseball from the get go um, and took the Brewers to the next level. I mean, there's a, that huge drought Um, with the, with him on the Brewers, we made what five playoff appearances in his tenure. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, 08, 11, um, 18, 19 and 20. Yeah, so we got five playoff appearances uh, for a team that went on such a long drought before him, and he was – he's the sole reason, dude. I mean, there's so many good moments with with Brawny. Uh, Brian Anderson's voice crack. I mean, the last week of 08 to, to make the playoffs and uh, be the wild card um, that year was – I mean, I still go to those YouTube highlights all the time watching those Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun just carrying the whole squad down the, down the stretch. I have a confession to make yesterday when we were talking about 
um, putting this segment into the podcast. I watched uh, a YouTube video. It's like a 15 minute YouTube video of Ryan's clutchest moments. And every time I watch that, I just get like the very glassy eyed look because it's like you knew in that moment before it even happened, if Ryan was up in the ninth inning with a chance to tie it or win it, you knew it was happening. I mean, two years ago, that three, two pitch grand slam against St. Louis with, you know, essentially we were, you know, begging for a playoff spot there. We had just lost Yelich and he turns the corner at third base and looks at the dugout and flashes up the deuces like, put that on loop at my funeral. Like, I just, I don't know if I could have a larger man crush on a human being. And he like, Milwaukee was always that small market team that no one wanted to play for. And Ryan, like, you know, obviously we, we drafted him. He was this California guy. He had all this swag, but everyone was like, as soon as his contract's up, he's gone. And the fact that he committed to Milwaukee and like, you know, he went through the steroid thing and like, you know, there was a whole bunch there. And, and I get that leaves a sour taste in some people's mouth, but like, this guy committed to the smallest organization and completely flipped us. And I'm, I'm getting kind of uh, choppy eyed right now talking about him, but like, it's just, it's so hard to describe, you know, what something like that meant to this city and fly eight on the home bridge forever, put a statue on every corner in downtown Milwaukee. I don't care. That guy is a legend here. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the third best the player in franchise history, I think that uh, that is safe to say uh, behind uh, Yount and Molitor. Um, but he he's a franchise leader in a whole lot of categories. And like I said, it was almost like a culture, like a calming presence with how clutch he was and those moments. I mean, like you said, that grand slam in St. Louis, you could go on and on with all of his huge home runs with rock just yelling yes like he forgets that he's announcing the game and he's just screaming yes he's a fan. yeah <laughs> ryan did that to us and you talked about the clutch moments just a little stat nugget here for you guys in ryan's career with the bases empty he was a career 858 ops hitter with men on base he was 930 and with men in scoring position he was 945 so the guy just when the when you needed a run to be drove in or with guys on base, Ryan just always stepped up time and time again. And those clutch moments are ultimately, for me, what he will be remembered for. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully it's not the last uh, we've seen of him because with coronavirus, he didn't get a proper goodbye, if that's the case, because I can just imagine um, being at that last game at uh, now Amphim Field and just cheering our asses off for him. So hopefully we get that moment this year because that would be, that'd be awesome and he deserves all of it. So um, cool. We'll, we'll ultimately, I mean, we'll talk about Ryan Braun, um, a ton during the course of doing this, but, uh, just wanted to give a, a quick little appreciation to, uh, a true Milwaukee goat there. <laughs> I don't know if I could really handle uh, Ryan Braun send off. I don't think I'd make it out of the stadium. I just, I just lay in my seat. <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, since like, obviously we were fans like in elementary school, but like, since we entered middle school until right now, um, like the last 15 years, it's, you can pencil an eight in the lineup and uh, we're not going to have that at least to start spring training. So uh, hopefully we get our guy back because um, I, I have no doubt that he can still do it. Um, you know, whether it's every day or not, probably wouldn't be, um, but he could still step up in some big moments and, and get the job done. Um, Cool. So that's a, that's a little Ryan Braun love fest there. 
Um, cool. Now we, uh, so I asked you guys, we coming up with ideas earlier in the week, but uh, this is kind of a fun one and we'll see, we'll get some interaction on, uh, on Twitter and people can argue with us, but let's go around and do our top five players in the NL central. Um, and I think I want to do this where we go number one and we each state our number one guy and so forth um, and uh, talk about it here. So um, I'll start. So I, I quickly want to, you know, go through my thought process on this. So I, I had a pool of about 17 players um, that I considered to be in the top five, um, none of which were from Pittsburgh. Um, that's just where they're at. I mean, you might see a guy like Brian Hayes really come onto the scene in the next couple of years and be considered, but it's kind of insane just how poor that roster is. <laughs> so like they, they didn't have anyone even, even sniffing top five. Um, obviously if Steven Brault played the Brewers every day, <laughs> he, he might and be Steven Brault. Yeah. Um, but, uh, with that, with that being said, I think we'll get more discussion when we start going through this, but, uh, I think the best player in the NL central is our own MVP Christian Yelich. Um, this was a, a tough call between him and, uh, my number two pick, but, uh, Mitch, what, uh, what's your number one player? Yeah, mine, um, to no surprise is also Christian Yelich. Um, I actually have a little bit larger of a gap um, between Yelich and the rest of the NL Central mm-hmm. um, top five for me. I think last year was very much an anomaly. We talked about how he was still hitting the ball with hard contact. I think there may have been a little bit of a mental gap there too with coming off his knee injury. Um, but I fully suspect Christian to be back into um, the MVP, MVP talk essentially that first week of the year. So um, Yelich, clear number one for me. Yeah, and just real quick before I uh, we let Bus go, um, MLB Networks ranked their top 100 players, and he was the the highest rated player in the NL Central. He came in at number nine, um, and I think that 60 game stretch they're they're counting. I would argue that he's still top five player in baseball, but within the last three seasons, um, if you combine all the the numbers, he's been second in slugging, OPS, uh, and WOBA. And then uh, also WCR plus and third and on base percentage. Um, that's what he ranks in the, the league. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's still one of the top hitters in the game um, and holds his own defensively. So yeah, Yelly, Yelly is the number one um, boss. We got you going three for three here. Yeah. No surprise. Yelly at number one um, yeah. MVP in 18 should have been 19, but uh, yep. we won't talk. We won't talk. We won't talk about that one. That one. Dude, if he didn't get hurt, he was going to win that MVP. It still doesn't make sense. Yeah. Who won it even? Bellinger, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Because it was back-to-back, belly, yelly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, You know, we're obviously biased, but he was. He should have been the 2019 MVP. Respectfully disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, number two. Um, this is where I said it was a little close. And the reason it was closer to me, um, maybe than Mitch, is just the – the defense that he brings um, on a daily basis. But uh, Nolan Arenado is number two for me, uh, third baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I mean, this guy, there's he's just a stud. Um, he immediately comes in, slots in at the number two uh, spot in the division. Um, and it uh, is still in my nightmares that we're going to have to face uh, Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt um, back-to-back. I just have a feeling it's going to be – there's gonna be some tough moments this, uh, this summer with a lot of fingernail biting. So yeah, that's my number two. 
My number two, and it's a good segue because you just mentioned it, but it is not Nolan Arenado, and it's instead the other guy um, that you mentioned, Paul Goldschmidt's my number two. Oh, wow. Oh man, this yeah, is really the reason, good, uh, I, the reason I went with Goldschmidt at number two. Oh, Goldschmidt, <laughs> his offensive ceiling to me is a little bit higher than Nolan. Nolan plays a more pre, uh, premier defensive position. He's a lot better defensively, just because first base kind of just gets pushed to the weight side when it comes to defense. But Goldschmidt has been pretty much an elite hitter since he broke onto the scene in 2011. Um, he, he's just been so consistent across the board. I think since 2013 I was looking at um, he's posted pretty much a 900 OPS or higher um, there was a the, these last couple of years he was in the mid 800s but he's just been so consistent across the board um, and adding Nolan to that lineup is just going to give him more protection and ultimately why I, I went with Goldschmidt at number two that surprises me I'm not gonna lie he is Paul Goldschmidt I'll just say he's not my top five players in the division so Ooh. we were we were kind of worried that uh that we're going to have a lot of similar uh, top fives, but maybe they won't be all, all that similar. So I, I considered him. I just, his bad is, is there. I don't know. I, maybe I'm downplaying the defense that he plays at first or just not playing a premier defensive position. Um, yeah, but he's, was, he's right on the, he's right on the border. I mean, if he's not top five in my eyes, he's top seven, top eight. Um, so yeah, boss, what do you got? Yeah, I had Arenado coming in at second with you here. Um, eight-time gold glover, just an elite defender. Um, averages like five and a half to six war per year. Um, that stretched from 15 to 19. He's hits like 40 bombs, over 100, over 100 RBIs. Doesn't really strike out all that much. His OPS is ridiculous in those years. It's like 950 for the last five years. So, I mean, he does hit at Coors. I'm not saying that. Yeah, this is the only reason he's good at it. He's a ter- terrific hitter. He does it everywhere, but yeah, that's that's my guy at two. Yeah, there's a lot of people in like the the fantasy baseball world that's really concerned with him um, having that switch, playing 81 games in Coors to uh, now half of his games at Bush um, in St. Louis. They think that's going to be a a pretty big effect. At least some people do. So I guess we'll see. Um, but I still think he's an elite all around player and. Um, that's why he slotted in at two for me. Um, number three, uh, this is one of my favorite players in the MLB that's not on the Brewers, actually. And that's uh, Luis Castillo of the Cincinnati Reds. And part of this is what he's done the last few years. And part of this is, um, I think, what sort of potential that he has. Um, whenever I see him, I just can't help but think, like, how is this guy not like a, a Cy Young contender at this rate? And I think he, I think he will be. He pitches in a tough ballpark, but 2019 is age 26 season. Went 15 and eight with a 3.4 ERA uh, through 191 innings um, with 226 strikeouts. Um, and this guy has one of the best pitches in baseball in my eyes. His changeup is is filthy. And I think if he just puts it all together, he is uh, truly uh, an elite, an elite talent, um, and a guy that. I always envy um, in Cincinnati and I wish that he was a brewer because I, he's incredible. So I don't, I'm not sure. Is that's a, that surprise a couple of you guys. I mean, I have Luis in my top five too. He's a little bit later. Um, okay. So, you know, some of the things that you're saying, I completely agree with, but my number three is, you know, both of your number two and, and it's Nolan Arenado okay. for me. Um, and, and part of the reason why I had him at number three is, is some of the things that you mentioned. I still think he's going to be an elite hitter away from Coors, but a lot of the events 
advanced metrics. So weighted runs created was one you mentioned before. Weighted runs created for the fans at home that aren't familiar with it takes into consideration an average ballpark factor. It kind of brings in that external environment or environmental factors and equalizes them across the board. So that's why you'll see Nolan's career WRC lower because it's given him the benefit of doubt of, of hitting at course his entire career. Like I said, I still think he's going to be an elite hitter, but this year is going to be interesting to watch him, um, you know, now playing away from Colorado. DJ, DJ LeMay, who had no problem adapting. Uh, I don't think Nolan will either, but, you know, it's just kind of an unknown at this point. So Nolan, number three for me. Yeah, I feel like you guys might have this guy later in your list. Uh, I got Jack Flaherty at three. I mean, he's still a young arm through 196 innings in 2019. Um, his win-loss record, and that will be his 23 and 22, which doesn't really project of how good he is. It's like a mid-threes FIP, strikes out almost 11 per nine. Um, I feel like he always – maybe it's because he always just kills the Brewers. Um, but I feel like he's – going to put it all together this year and have a really, really solid year. Um, I think he can win a Cy Young. He throws a ton of innings. He's only 25 years old. So um, I know he kind of had a battle with St. Louis this year and arbitration, so he may not be with them all that long, but. Yeah, I, and uh, I'll just segue to my number four and that's Jack Flaherty. Um, to me, the, there was like five arms and the three through seven that could be interchangeable and um i kind of just weighted some track record compared to potential with some of those decisions in my top five um but yeah flaherty he's a monster he had a tough 2020 but so did a lot of people and uh, i think we can just kind of toss that to the side with some of those guys that are um you know the elite talents um but 2019 like you said his last full season that he threw um a 2.75 era and 33 games started close to 200 innings um, which you don't see all that much anymore, and 231 strikeouts. Um, he was fourth in Cy Young voting um, the last full season there was, and even got a, a couple MVP votes and finished 13th there. So, um, yeah, a, an elite pitcher, um, just like Castillo and uh, the other guys that will round out my list here. So, Mitch, who's your number four? My number four is also Jack Flaherty. Okay, so we got a three in a row, Jack Flaherty, between the three and a couple fours. So, nice. Yeah, no, I mean, just to echo everything you guys say is his projection for me is, you know, in line with my fifth person, which I will name later. Um, but I mean, he's just a, a young arm. He's shown durability. He's been he's gotten close to 200 innings already in a couple of his seasons before um, his K percentage is there. Um, yeah, Jack's my number four. Uh, boss, what do you got? Yeah, this might surprise you guys. I don't know if you have him at your five or not but i have our own corbin burns okay don't at me he's gonna win mvp this year that's my hot take mvp of 20 yes, MVP or cy young mvp both <laughs> all of them all of them you know how good he's gonna he's gonna have to be like jacob de Gram. okay this yes. is why i like bus for people out there bus bus gets very emotional and uh fires off some of these takes and i absolutely love it but uh that is a bold bold take and i appreciate that bus yeah, the pitcher never wins MVP outside of Kershaw in 2014. So you're saying, okay. Believe it or not. You're yeah. saying monster, monster season. Yeah, monster year, 200 innings, striking out everybody oh. and their mamas. <laughs> Crazy stat, though. Hasn't, there hasn't been an MVP outside of Kershaw in 14 since 1961, 68, and Bob Gibson won MVP. Oh, man. It's you time. Know, it's time. The like, stars uh, are going to align. 
I feel like this happens like for a couple week period every year where um, there's a pitcher dicing and it's like, oh, can like, can this guy win MVP? And then like Chris Russo on the MLB network will like scream at the top of his lungs for like 45 minutes saying that pitchers can't win MVP because they don't play every day. (laughs) You could just like throw it on repeat, like for a one week span every single summer. So you're you're expecting some Christopher Russo um, anger later this year, I would suppose. Yeah. (laughs) But Mitch, what do you think? What do you think about that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, DeGrom's had some really good years in the last couple of years, and he didn't even sniff close to, to winning a, a – Yeah, I don't, Yeah, we'll see. Boss might make us all look dumb, but I think <laughs> right? it's, uh, it's a tall, it's a tall, tall task, but I, I, love, those, uh, I love those takes from Bus. I will say, if, if he does have a 70% K percentage now that he uh, added that changeup, he for sure probably will win the MVP, so maybe we're not <laughs> off. <laughs> um, where are we at now? I lost track. Are we at number five now? Yeah, five. Yeah, so this one, this one uh, came down to both Brewer pitchers to me. Um, so I was thinking either Woody or uh, Corbin Burns, and ultimately, um, I'm gonna slot Brandon Woodruff in there um, to start this year um, at uh, at number five. So we obviously all know what Woody can do. Um, I think he's he's just kind of uh, he's the workhorse. So I think he's gonna be the Brewers pitcher with the most innings this year. Um, hopefully he develops some sort of off speed pitch to really up his game. Um, but I love what he brings to the table. We get to see him hit this year. Uh, I just got distracted and thought about that. Um, I think in our Miller Park memories, his uh, home run against Kershaw will, will uh, come up. But yeah, Woodruff is my number five. I thought about him or against Burns, but I'm going to go with um, the little bit more longer and uh, more steady track record um to gives Woody the edge over Corbin my number five is uh Luis Castillo um like you had mentioned Hanson um it's it's an absolute joy watching him pitch and you know being a Brewers fan we all know about Devin Williams change up and how elite that is I would say Luis Castillo's change up is just as a as elite um and he's yeah for a longer period of time so um it was a toss-up for me between Jack and Luis for four and five. And I ended up putting Jack fourth, uh, but Castillo's right there with him. So Castillo's my five. Yeah, my five. I know we talked about him already. I have Paul Goldschmidt at five, certified Brewers assassin. I mean, I think he gets a bump because he just fucking kills us every year. (laughs) It's to the point where it's like Barry Bonds treatment when he's facing the Brewers, put him on and just fucking walk him. Yeah, yeah. Sick of of bombs over right into the left center gap. Right barrels everything such a yeah. patient hitter That's like my number two yeah he's yeah. really good and he he probably slots in at seven for me i would i would uh give corbin the edge over him uh personally um but i didn't want to touch on this because before before uh if we do have any cub fan listeners um before they get all up in arms um i want to first say hopefully they listen to the podcast to explain our reasoning uh but my my group of 17 um the Cubs had five guys in my group of the top 17 players in the division. Um, so I, I think a lot of them are kind of in the 10 through like 13 range, um, but they have a lot of good depth. Um, but I don't think you can argue that Chris Bryant, the way he's performed the last uh, last year in the shortened season and a little bit of 2019 where he struggled and kind of tapered off. Um, I don't think you can argue that he's a top five player in the division at this point. Um, and Hendricks, 
uh, you know, as good as a pitcher as he is and how much he dominates the Brewers at times. Um, I, the soft tosser, I couldn't put him against the elite potential of the likes of Castillo, Flaherty, Woodruff, Burns. Um, so that was my thinking there. I think the Cubs are going to still be a solid and a, a solid lineup and a, a decent team potentially. Um, but they, in my eyes, have no one that you could, I, I'm curious, could you, who could you even argue out of their team to, to get there in the top five? Anthony Rizzo maybe would be for me their highest one at this point, just because okay. he's been the most consistent at this point. Wilson Contreras is, is really yeah, good. Yeah, he's on there. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's I'm right there with you when it comes to the Cubs. For me, I didn't have any Cubs in my top five, but you know, top twenty, they probably have the most. Um, mm-hmm. They have a lot of good talent. Ian Happ starting to bust into the scene. Um, but I do want to say this, you know, like I got to give the Cubs respect because they've been decent or not decent. They've been good you know, dating back to 2015, 2016. Um, but I do want to mention that their shortstop, Javi Baez, did post the lowest OPS for qualified shortstops last year. So, um, you know, Javi Baez, worse than Orlando Arcia take fully on. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, he, he just can't hit off-speed pitching. So I guess right. until he figures that out. I mean, he'll he'll obviously get hot. If you, if you fall behind the count and you have to throw him fastballs. He can titty fastballs. Right. He's a fun player to watch for sure. Yeah. All right. Sweet tags. Sweet tags. Hobby buyer. <laughs> <laughs> MVP because he does sweet tags. Yeah. yeah. Sick, <laughs> sick tags. <laughs> We're going to take some major heat for this, but I don't care. Yeah, that's all right. I don't know. Well, I don't know. There's probably not a whole lot of Cubs fans that tune in anyhow. It's just, um, it's hard. It's hard for me to buy into a player that has a swing rate an out of the zone swing rate that Javi does. I mean, sometimes I watch him and he reminds me of like Corey Hart back in the day where he's <laughs> swinging at sliders yeah. four feet out of the zone where it's like, I get you have a split second decision, but at that point, Javi has in his mind that he's swinging at this pitch no matter what. And it's just, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, he's, you know, one of the elite top five guys in the division when you have that type of approach at the plate. It makes him fun to watch. He's one of the most electric players to watch in baseball. But he just, I mean, he's going to have such a variance in consistency because of his approach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to name off the guys that that missed my cut, and we'll see if we're on the same page and um, if I'm missing any any additional elite talent. Like, I mentioned Cabrian Hayes earlier. I think if we do this a couple years from now, the likes of, like, Cabrian Hayes, Dylan Carlson, uh, Keston Hira in the Brewers case, if he, you know, really rakes like he did his rookie year. Um, you might see a little uh, more youth in this top five, but uh, those are just a, a couple. But here are other guys that I kind of considered. Um, so on the Brewers, um, Corbin Birds, obviously. And then I, I did put Devin Williams and Josh Hader in there just just for fun. Um, ultimately, I couldn't get myself to pick a reliever. I don't, I don't know how good you'd have to be for me to pick a reliever, but um, I just couldn't do it uh, no matter how good they were. Um, from the Reds, I had Suarez, Castellanos, um, and that was it. Uh, oh, Sonny Gray. I did have Sonny Gray on that uh, potential list. Um, Goldie, Rizzo, uh, Chris Bryant, Baez, Contreras, uh, and Kyle Hendricks. So that kind of rounded out the, the pool where I was kind of going from there. You, am I missing any big names? Um, no, we kind of touched on the Cubs. Um, Nick Gonzalez is another uh, young prospect for the Pirates that has a chance yeah. to be really good as well. Um, I didn't hear that name. So uh, New Mexico State guy, he raked in college. Yeah, <laughs> he was like insane. 
Um, cool. Yeah, and just know, like, obviously we lost you, Darvish, and Trevor Bauer from the division. That would uh, – Trevor Bauer probably would be in the top five, and Darvish in all likelihood would be hovering around it as well. So the division lost some talent, but still there's there's still a lot of talent. I'm, this division is getting ragged. I need people on the athletic to relax a little bit. Um, saying that this division is un-American because of how no one's trying. It's like, let's just chill. You can put the Pirates in that discussion. If you want to throw the Cubs in there because they gave away Darvish, that's fine. Um, but the Brewers did go out. They did improve their team. Um, and they're banking on a lot of internal improvement, um, which we've knocked at times. But now spring training is coming around and I'm buying in. <laughs> well, and not only that, too, they had tried. I mean, they had put in close to 40 million for Justin Turner, too. So this yeah. idea that they weren't trying to spend money this offseason for being the smallest market team is BS. Yeah. And the Cardinals, they traded for Arenado. I mean, this the, the division is going to be competitive. I mean, you can see it any four teams um, besides the Pirates uh, coming away, depending on how how things unfold. So. Cool. We got our top five. We're going to post those on Twitter um, and then we'll have a, a vote on who is best and most accurate um, with those rankings. So we were in the same wavelength on a lot of things. I think uh, myself, maybe I'm underrating uh, Goldschmidt a little too much, um, but that was kind of the biggest discrepancy, I think, in, in my list compared to yours. Uh, cool. So we'll finish out this pod. We got, uh, you know, close to 10 minutes here. We'll finish it out with uh, some of our favorite Miller Park memories. Um, even though the, the, the stadium's not changing, uh, the naming rights have, um, has some people up in arms, but we just wanted to touch on some of the like the random things that you know games that we've been at over the last uh, 20 years uh, and some of the best moments that give us goosebumps to this day. So uh, bus, why don't you start with some of your favorite Miller Park memories? Yeah, I have I think three on here. The first one is 2007. Um, just kind of getting into like really paying attention to the Brewers. Damian Miller threw on three on bomb walk off on lacrosse day. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Lacrosse. So, I mean, that one kind of stuck with me. I was there with my dad. So, I mean, it's just shit like that. That. You, don't, you don't forget. So yeah, that's that'll so many, always stick with me. So many sure. random moments. Like my feature or my alumni. Yeah. Love that. Um, my second one I had, these are no particular order as well. Um, that another game, this is not a brewer, like technically a brewer's memory, but the grand slam Brandon Phillips hit over the slide in 2013 was just off insane. Like, yeah. Just how loud that ball came off the bat and where it landed. I just, just incredible. It was also a fun fact. It was off our uh, old friend, Carlos Villanueva. Oh, yep. Yeah. Gotta love it. Yeah. Miss him. <laughs> do we miss him? <laughs> I don't know. I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2019, uh, I was at this game with you, Austin, the Yelich double walk off in the left center gap off of 102 mile an hour fastball off Jordan Hicks. Yeah. Um, that was actually Corbin Burns' first start. Um, I mean, he was shoving. I was watching highlights of the game earlier today. I think he had like 11 punchies in like the first four innings, and then they started hitting piss missiles off of him. But yeah, we, we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what I got. Um, the uh, side note, that Yelich uh, walk-off, I don't remember really – I think I remember um, – fucking just the MVP chance. And then it was two old count and he smoked that ball. I probably started crying. I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a famous picture in Bruce history already where he's kind of like backing up and they're coming after him with the Gatorade. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good moment. Yeah. Anytime you mix in like a huge moment with uh, some MVP chance beforehand. Um, yeah. That's always, always good times. 
Cool. Well, uh, Mitch, what do you got? Yeah, so I'll start with my first uh, non-Brewer favorite memory at Miller Park, and uh, that was uh, being at the game that Josh Willingham had hit two grand slams in one game. Um, It was back in 2009, I believe. Um, when he played for the nationals and it was like 14 to like four after the fifth inning or something like that. And, you know, it was kind of that point where I stay to the end of games, you know, 98% of the time, regardless of the score. And it was just funny watching the fans just funnel out after Willingham had hit his second grand slam. So uh, I don't know how how many times that's happened in the history of the MLB where a players hit two grand slams in a single game, but I would venture to guess it's under 10. Um, my one of my favorite memories and I just grew attached to him as a prospect as he as he blossomed and then he had his moment on um, Mother's Day where he made his um, opening or his MLB debut and through 13 K's but I was at Freddie Peralta's home um, opener for his first start against the Royals and he still had double digit punch outs there as well. Um, he, he's just such a fun player to watch. He's always so happy, he's smiling, he's jumping around. So um, I made a point to go to the first time he pitched at Miller Park and he didn't disappoint. Um, I was also at, and I don't know if you guys were there, but it's kind of a staple. Um, I was at game one of the NLCS when Woodruff hit yeah. uh, his home run and I was sitting in the outfield. And as soon as it was off, off his bat, I just remember screaming like, get out like kind of like being dramatic because like of course like no pitcher is going to hit a home run off of Clayton Kershaw and as soon as it hit the bat I just screamed get out and I'm like oh my god it's gonna go and it happened and I was just like I was hugging everyone around me and it's just like those moments at parks when you're you know in a big game and something like that happens everyone's your best friend you're high-fiving everyone hugging everyone so um that moment um probably my favorite moment um at Miller Park kind of like an out-of-body experience when that kind of shit happens like like Pat like Rodgers came back last two years ago last year against the Bears on Monday Night Football so I was there with all my friends like you just it's like you're not even there it's like you're watching yourself it's fucking crazy (laughs) and I have I have two more quick oh Um, go ahead sorry this isn't a specific moment but it was just any game that I was at and Trevor Hoffman would come in the mic or the audio guy blasting hell's bells to the point where like my vision was rattling because it was just, (laughs) and then Miller park would start rattling because of how loud that was. Like every time that came in, I just had chills because Trevor Hoffman is just, you know, one of the best closers of the game in in the game um, ever. So that was pretty awesome. And then my last one is honorable mention. Um, It's not a Miller park moment, but it's just something we need to talk about. Um, January 25th, 2018, the day that we acquired uh, Christian Yelich and signed Lorenzo Cain. I physically cried in Golden Oh, shit. So. shit, I forgot about that. I was going to mention that. I must have missed it. Yeah, we were there, we were there together. <laughs> I, was, I was crying in a gym, and, and that deserves its respects as one of our favorite Miller Park moments. So I think we just did bicep curls for like two hours after that. I love that. With tears in our eyes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, well, I'll start. So I was at the the Brandon Woodruff um, home run as well. And I'll say been to a lot of Brewers, Bucks and Packer games, but that is still number one uh, list on sports moments that I've seen in person uh, went with my dad and two brothers and something I'll remember forever. I mean, dude, I remember Miller Park just literally shaking and we were just hounding Kershaw and they ended up pulling them pretty early. And um, the biggest thing in that game is we ultimately won that game and um, obviously pushed the, the game seven against the 
the Dodgers that year. But that's that's number one. I mean, to have a pitcher come up in um, that situation and hit a ball that far to right center, um, left left was was insane. So um, my first memory was uh, a multi homer game out of Richie Sexton uh, when I was seven. Um, so 2001, <laughs> Richie Sexton um, hit. 271 and hit 45 home runs for the Brewers. <laughs> Just absolutely mashing baseballs. His OPS was nearly 900. Um, he had a couple years uh, where he he really raked for the Brewers. <laughs> he was really good. Um, saw Casey McGee walk off. Casey McGee was a cool story for a couple years. Um, saw him hit a walk-off bomb that went off the, the yellow foul pole. Um, one game that weirdly sticks out to me was a multi-homer game from um, Juan Francisco, of all people. Just absolutely I, – I remember I went uh, there with my buddies and um, just screaming at the top of our lungs, don't put that shit in the zone, in the Juan Francisco zone. <laughs> He's just hitting baseballs a mile, a mile long. Um, was that the, the Moose walk-off against the Rockies? Um, that was a cool moment. And honestly, yes, I – Went and saw a couple of CC Sabathia starts. Um, those were those were a couple of nights that I'll, I'll always remember just uh, how electric CC was for that second half of that season. So there's there's so many more. I mean, I've probably been to 100 games uh, over the course of um, the last 20 years. So a uh, lot of lot of cool moments at Miller Park. Weirdly enough, weirdly enough, last last thing, our friend Lewis Brinson hit two home runs against the Brewers in a game that I was at um, one year. So. Fun fact. <laughs> nothing's nothing's better than that Miller Park when it gets really loud and all the fucking pigeons start flying around in the roofs and then and like the rafters and the roofs close. Nothing better than that. I gotta love it. Cool. Well, let's <laughs> just try not to laugh right now. All right, cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, like I said, next week we'll have uh, first spring training game is next Saturday, um, the twenty seventh. So next episode we will have. Um, one uh, spring training game under our belt to analyze. So that'll be fun. We can do some, uh, some Mitch bus overreactions after the first game of the spring. I can't fucking table. Hopefully Corbin throws an inning or two and has three strikeouts and bus is like, I told you guys, (laughs) (laughs) you guys know me too well. (laughs) Just an absurd prediction, but I absolutely love it. All right, cool guys. Well, peace out. We'll, uh, we'll be here next week. Let's 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 fucking cook.